0: Please grab your Bibles and open up to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, we'll be looking at verses 1 to 34. If you do not have a Bible, you can raise your hand and an usher will give you one. If you don't own a Bible, we would love for you to have that Bible as our gift to you. So you can put your name in it, you can take it with you. Um, we would love for you to have a Bible. So if you don't have one, just lift your hand up. One of the ushers will bring you one shortly. See, we've got a couple people getting them, so that's awesome. Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 34. We're actually just going to read verses 1 through 20, but then we'll work through all well the way verses 1 through 34. Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Please read silently as I read aloud. Again, he began to teach by the sea, and a very large crowd gathered around him. So he got into a boat on the sea and sat down. While the whole crowd was by the sea on the shore, he taught them many things and parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, "'Listen, consider the sower who went out to sow.' As he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, and it grew up quickly, since the soil wasn't deep. When the sun came up, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it didn't produce fruit. So other seed fell on good ground, and it grew up. "...producing fruit that increased thirty, sixty, and a hundred times." Then he said, "...let anyone who has ears to hear listen." When he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. He answered them, "...the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those outside everything comes in parables, so that they may indeed look and yet not perceive. They may indeed listen and yet not understand." "'Otherwise they might turn back and be forgiven. "'Then he said to them, "'Don't you understand this parable? "'How then will you understand all of the parables? "'The sower sows the word. "'Some are like the word sown on the path. "'When they hear, immediately Satan comes "'and takes away the word sown in them. "'And others are like the seed sown on rocky ground. "'When they hear the word, immediately "'they receive it with joy.' But they have no root. They are short-lived. When distress or persecution comes because of the word, they immediately fall away. Others are like seeds sown among thorns. These are the ones who hear the word, but the worries of this age, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And those, like seeds sown on good ground, hear the word, welcome it, And produce fruit 30, 60, and 100 times what was sown. This is the word of God. If you were going to change the world, how would you do it? If I said, I need you to start a revolution that will change everything and affect everyone and everything in the world, how would you go about it? Some of you, your minds are racing. You're like, okay, I'm going to have to do a lot of fundraising. There's going to be a lot of money needed because I'm going to have to affect the economy. Some of you are already thinking, like, political gain. I'm going to have to get an office somewhere in some influential country. You're going to have to start a business. You're going to do something big and major and all these kind of things. And what's interesting is in the book of Mark, we learn that Jesus came and completely changed the world forever. And what did he come and do? He came and preached. He came and taught. And not only that, but he came and preached and taught, and a lot of people rejected his message. Even a very effective preacher. I know today we hold up the the Billy Grahams and these kind of people of the world. And we're like, look at how many people come to their events and how many people get saved. And, you know, that's glorious. I think those are good things that people are really coming to know the Lord, things like that. But when Jesus preached, not that many ever really understood what he was saying. Not that much change appeared to be happening. I think that Jesus came to us as the Word of God who preached the word of God, playing the long game of the kingdom. He had an eternal goal in mind, a much bigger picture than you and I see. And I think we see that in today's passage. Now, you may not know, but today we're actually starting a new series. Our last series was Jesus, More Than a Man. We looked at Mark chapter 1-3, through 3, and we saw multiple examples of how Jesus is more than a man. Today, our new series is Jesus, More Than We Expect. So for around the next six weeks, we don't like to give you an exact number because you know it may change. Around the next six weeks, we're going to be talking that Jesus is more than we expect. And this specific passage is about Jesus' teaching ministry. Now, you may not see that in a quick devotional reading of this chapter. If you're one who just reads it, you may be like, no, this is about like me hearing the word. And, you know, you got the fruit. In the like, What are you talking about? It's about Jesus' teaching ministry. But remember, we're working through the book of Mark. And understanding how this fits into the book of Mark actually helps us a lot. Mark chapter 1, verse 1, Mark sets out basically a thesis. He says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And he spends the whole rest of the book trying to prove to us that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. He tells us in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, says, after John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. He went around preaching the gospel. So Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, in his life is now going out to preach. He goes and he's driving out unclean spirits. He's healing people. And then we find in chapter 1, verse 38, he insists that he gets back to his teaching ministry. Scripture says, And he said to them, Let's go on to the neighboring villages. Why? So that I may preach there too." This is why I have come. But as we already said, many people, maybe like you, rejected Jesus' teaching. In chapter 2, through the first several verses of chapter 3, we see him interacting with the scribes and Pharisees, the religious leaders of those days, the good church folks, right? But they rejected his teaching, not only to the point they said, we don't like that, we're not going to do that, to the point that they actually started plotting to kill him, we find early in chapter 3. Last week, Pastor Philip preached from chapter 3, where Jesus appoints 12 apostles and talks about who his true family is. And in that passage, he's establishing a new Israel, consisting of all who hear and obey his word. Now, today's passage... Answer some questions that would come up. If you were just reading this straight through and you read those first three chapters and you're like, okay, I'm going to see Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God. I see him preaching and teaching, but now all the people who are influential are denying him. They even want to kill him? And now he's doing something appointing 12 people? He's saying that his true family are those who obey his word? What is, what is Jesus doing here? His, his teaching is not working. And it's almost like Mark anticipates those questions in us and gives us Mark chapter 4 because now he's going to tell us about his teaching. He's going to show us why religious leaders did not receive Jesus' teaching, and he's going to further explain how Jesus is growing his kingdom through the power of his word. And the way we're going to look at this today is we're going to look at three parables. The first one's what we read, verses 1 through 20, the parable of the sower, and then we're going to find two more um, in verses 26 through 29 and verses 30 and 32. But Working back through, just looking, chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Again he began to teach by the sea, and a very large crowd gathered around him. So he got into a boat on the sea and sat down. Now what's different here, earlier, Jesus had a big crowd come. He got in the boat and he went to the other side because he was like, we got to get away from these people, which all my introverts in the room are like, yes and amen. This time he gets in the boat and he uses it as a pulpit. He uses it to kind of distance himself a little bit so that he can step back and preach. And so He does. And he offers this parable that we just read, so I'm not just going to rehash it for you again. In public, verses 1 through 9, he, he lays this out there, and he has this continued call for them to listen. We see that in verse 3. We see that again in verse 9, and he says, Let anyone who has ears to hear, listen. Are you listening? Are you hearing the words of Jesus And he doesn't just mean audible listening. He's not at all making fun of deaf people or anything like that. He means are you internalizing, embracing, believing, and trusting in what he's saying. Now Mark does this thing where he likes to give us sandwiches. This is going to help you reading Mark on your own another time. You'll notice in verses 1 through 9, he gives us the parable. And then he has a few verses in between, 10 through 12, where he gives an explanation. And then he gives the actual explanation of that parable. You're gonna see how that plays out. You may see it even in how your Bible is laid out. Mark does that a lot. So this little middle part in 10 through 12 actually tells us a lot about parables as a whole before we come back to what this parable means. So this is essential. Okay? Verses 10 through 12 says when he was alone, talking about Jesus, those around him with the twelve, that's the twelve was disciples last week Philip showed how they became apostles Asked him about the parables. He answered them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. Wow, that's pretty cool, right? Whether you're here today and this is your millionth time in church or this is your first time in church, if I start saying, I know the secret of the kingdom of God, your ears may perk up a little bit. What, what's the secret? What are you talking about? The key here is what separates these people from what Jesus is about to say, notice he says, but to those outside. The ones he's talking to, those around him and the twelve, what did they do that those outside didn't do? Go back to verse 10. It says, those around him with the twelve did what? They asked him about the parables. They came back to Jesus. Now, that may not seem significant to you, but it is significant, because notice what it says Continuing in verse 11, it says, But to those outside, everything comes in parables so that they may indeed look and yet not perceive. They may indeed listen and yet not understand. Otherwise, they might turn back and be forgiven. I grew up in church hearing about parables, and people would say, Jesus used parables so that people could just understand. They were just easy stories, they were easily relatable. Now, that sounds great. If that's what you've heard and that's what you've been taught, somebody probably taught you that from great motivation. You may have taught other people that from great motivation. That is not what's happening in Mark chapter 4. Okay? He's telling us that as he preaches parables, what it does, it actually reveals the hearts of those who are listening. As the word of God is preached, it actually reveals a lot about us and whether or not we receive Jesus for who he's saying he is or not. And the secret to the kingdom that he talks about is him. He's going to make that clear in a moment. Here in talking about those others, though, he actually quotes from Isaiah 6, 9, and 10. Now, some of you are like, what is Isaiah? I don't know anything about Isaiah. This is Old Testament. This is a prophet. Isaiah 6, 9, and 10 is actually quoting from Deuteronomy 29, 4. Shout out to Dr. Link for that little insight. You can read into that more later. That's not where we're going today. Isaiah 6, 9, and 10, though, is this famous passage, Isaiah 6. Where Isaiah is called to ministry, it was actually my very first sermon preaching. I hope that all copies have been destroyed because it was a terrible sermon that was very self-centered and had nothing to do with Jesus. But Isaiah is called into ministry, and he's told that he's going to go and preach, which is great, right? Some, Some of you are actually more familiar with this passage than you know, because it's the passage where Isaiah says, here am I, send me. Some of you are like, oh, yeah, 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 I've heard that in church a couple times. What a lot of people don't know is these verses quoted here? Or what God tells Isaiah is about to happen when he preaches. Okay, great, Isaiah. Glad you're here. No one's going to listen to you. Isn't that awesome? Man, that is not what preachers sign up for, y'all. I'm just letting you know as a preacher, with some other preachers in the room, that's not what we sign up for. We want to see loads of people coming to know the Lord. We want to see revival is what the Old Southern Baptist people would say, whatever that means. (laughs) Courtney's loving that right there. But Jesus quotes Isaiah, which is interesting because he's actually quoting God and he is God, so he's kind of saying his own words again. But he quotes Isaiah and says that some people aren't going to hear. The preaching of the word is actually going to divide and it's going to show those who do hear and those who do not hear. For those who do not hear, it's going to show God's judgment on them because they do not hear and receive the word. You see, Isaiah's preaching revealed that Israel had become deaf and blind like their idols. But the triune God of the Bible is the Lord who speaks and whose people hear and respond to his word. Now, the reason I'm spending so much time right here in Mark and on this first parable particularly, the reason we read it and didn't get to the other ones yet, is because this parable is key to understanding all other parables. It's included in all four Gospels, okay? Jesus, even right here in verse 13, says, Then he said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand all of the parables? See, when I told y'all just now that you had to understand this one to get the rest of them, some of y'all looked at me like, yeah, right. Jesus said it right there. How then will you understand all of the parables? What's good, though, is we get the explanation, right? Right? So if you read that first one, you're like, I don't know what he's talking about. I'm not a gardener. I'm not a farmer. I don't know anything about seed and plants and soils. Don't worry. I'm not either. I do not have a green thumb. I have like the opposite of that, whatever that is, like a brown thumb. My last name is Brown. We, we get plants and they die within two weeks. People are like, it's supposed to live for like three months on its own. Nope, I killed it. Don't worry. Figured it out. But Jesus offers us a good explanation here of what he means in this parable, and what he wants us to get largely about his teaching ministry as a whole. This ministry of the word, this way that he is advancing the kingdom. In verse 14 he says, The sower sows the word. Now remember, he's talking about his own teaching. So he's talking about the sower sowing the word. He's saying, I'm the sower. He's the farmer here who's going to be casting out seed, which is the word. And he's going to show us actually four ways that you can respond to the word. The first three are all bad, and the last one's what we're hoping is going to be the way we respond to the word, okay? The first one here is in verse 15. It says, Some are like the word sown on the path. When they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word sown in them. This is what we would say today. It goes in one ear and comes out the other. Happens sometimes. I'm not going to pick on my brother Philip too much here, but I bet if I took a poll after church today about what Philip preached on last week, some of you may have forgotten a little bit by now. Am I correct? I'm not saying Satan has necessarily snatched that away, but I'm saying it's possible. Now, memorizing our points, preaching is not the point of Scripture. That's not what we're going for. We're looking at internalizing and obeying and trusting God's Word. But oftentimes, as the word goes forth, even as I'm preaching now, as Jesus preached, Satan snatches the word before it ever takes any root. And that's what he shows us in verse 15. The second way, in verses 16 and 17, says, And others are like seeds sown on rocky ground. When they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy, but they have no root. They are short-lived. When distress or persecution comes because of the word, they immediately fall away. So the first problem we have with Satan, now our own problem is us. Our own flesh gets in the way. We hear the word, immediately we receive it with joy. Y'all being the preacher, I've seen this too many times. Stand at the back, like a good Southern Baptist. Shake hands on people's way out. Yep, great to see you. Kiss the baby. Somebody says, great sermon, pastor. You get a call on Tuesday, that person's living like a heathen. Like, what do you mean, great sermon? You didn't hear a thing I said. It got really quiet in here talking about that. Some of y'all are like, he, he checks on how we live? Yes. We want you to live differently. That's what we're hoping for here. When they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy. So you may be here right now smiling at me. You're receiving it with joy, but they have no root. They're short lived. When distress and persecution comes because of the word, they immediately fall away. I like that it includes distress and persecution because oftentimes we, as American Christians, jump on that whole persecution thing like, oh, we're being persecuted because our friends don't invite us to coffee or something. And like, that's not persecution, y'all. But it is distress because of the word. Christians in the room, maybe you have felt like an outcast before. You felt like you're treated like the weirdo at work or something like that because we actually believe that Jesus is who he says he is. We believe that Jesus is the Son of God who has existed for eternity, who came to earth, lived perfectly as none of us ever could, completely without sin, willingly went to the cross and died in our place, taking on our sin, bearing the wrath of God for us, dying on the cross for the glory of God. He was dead three days, and I truly believe, and I know brothers and sisters in this room do as well, he came back from the grave and he's alive now. He is reigning at the right hand of the Father. He's making intercession for us. He has sent His Spirit to indwell us. And He lives in us by the power of His Spirit right now, empowering us to glorify Him. Now, if you are unfamiliar with Christianity, that sounds crazy and weird. And it does. And if you're new to this and you're hearing the Word, notice all of this, by the way, is talking about people who actually have a chance to hear the Word. Just notice that. But these people who hear and receive, when that distress comes, suddenly they're not going to act like a Christian anymore. Is that you here today? Maybe you come to church and you amen and you love the songs every week. And then when you get out in the world, "Ah, I'm just going to put that Christian thing on the side. I'm going to make sure that's not on my social media profile or anything like that. I'm going to make sure I'm not talking to anybody about Jesus too much. I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to be weird for me. Jesus is calling us to something more. So far we have those who Satan takes away. We have those who the flesh give in. Verses 18 and 19, we find a third way that's a bad way to respond. It says, Others are like the seed sown among thorns. These are the ones who hear the word, but the worries of this age, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things, enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. So so far you had Satan, then you had the flesh, now we have the world around us. Others are like seed sown among thorns. I don't like thorns or briars or whatever you want to call them. Not good. These are the ones who hear the word, but the worries of this age. We don't have any worries in our age, do we? All I got to do to get y'all stirred up, and it doesn't matter which way you're getting stirred up, if I just say President Trump, everybody's like, we're all worried about who knows what at this point. Some of us because people think they're offending him, they're not treating him, they're not praying for him like they should. He's doing some good stuff and we need to acknowledge that. Others because he's a terrible person and we need to get him out of the office immediately and he's not handling immigration or racism. or And that's just one subject in our world. Not to mention, you know, pressures we feel at work or social pressures in a town where seems like all the people do when they hang out is go out and drink and party. We're not even talking about that kind of stuff, right? The worries of this age get after us. Also, the deceitfulness of wealth. That's a phrase that will stick with you. The deceitfulness of wealth. How is wealth deceitful? Now, let me first say there is nothing implicitly wrong with money. There's not. Some of y'all are like, but money is the root of all evil. No, no. The love of money is the root of all evil, Scripture says. Money itself is neutral. It's just a thing. It can be used for good or for bad. But wealth is deceitful. How? Because no matter how much you have, you're going to want more. You're going to want more. The uh, modern theologian Jim Carrey once said (laughs) that he wishes everyone could be rich and famous so they could understand that that's not the answer saw an interview with Tom Brady after one of the like 12 Super Bowls he's won or whatever and he's not a believer like Jim Carrey, not a believer and he said a similar thing of I I still he's still coming up empty after winning all these Super Bowls y'all wealth is deceitful because we look at it and say if I just had that but that feeling right there is never going to go away whatever you get you're still going to say if I just had more if I just had that is deceitful and it does not save it does not give us meaning or hope. It says, and the desires for other things, just generally wanting. So many of us spend our lives wanting. We want a better relationship. We want a better car. We want a better house. We want a better job. We want better clothes. We want, we want, we want. And we are never content or satisfied where we are with what we have. It says, these choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. So even if you receive the word here, you go back to all that, and these things are choked out by the world. So far, we have Satan, flesh, and the world all keeping us from hearing the word, but there is a right way to hear the word, and we're probably ready for that after all this negativity. Verse 20, And those like seed sown on good ground hear the word, welcome it, and produce fruit. 30, 60, and a hundred times what was sown. So first, if you want to hear the word rightly, you must indeed hear. Jesus says listen. He says hear. He's going to say that more even in these verses. There are about nine times that he calls us to listen. I know we're not good listeners these days because what do we do? Somebody starts talking to us. We pull out our phone. Huh? What did you say? I'm not just talking about you. I do this with my wife all the time, y'all. She'll be telling me something important, and I'll be like, oh, Twitter. She'll get all the way done with her story and go, did you hear anything I just said? No. We don't listen. When we come to the Word, we come with what we already think. And we don't submit ourselves to the Word to actually hear what God might be saying to us. We are foolish enough to think that we already have such great understanding that what's the word going to teach me? It's actually the word that gives us understanding. It gives understanding to the simple like me. It so says we hear the word, we welcome it. I love that in the CSB. We welcome the word. Do you welcome the word in your life? You make sure the word is all around you. Y'all recently visited a couple in this church. We're doing a pastoral check-in, and when I walked in, I immediately noticed that you could see like 17 Bible verses posted all around the room. You know what the coolest part was? That church member shouted out to the kids who were upstairs, and the kids shouted back the verse that was on the wall next to us without looking at it. That's welcoming the word in, y'all. That's that's not just hearing the word. That's welcoming the word and saying, yes, we want this word to be part of our lives. We want to submit to the God of this word who's revealing himself to us, who's showing us who he is in Jesus and what he's done in Jesus. We want to hear and accept. And then it says we must produce fruit. Those who hear and accept the word produce fruit. Notice what it says about the fruit. It says 30, 60, and 100 times what was sown. Now, again, I'm not a gardener or a farmer, but I did do a little quick research. Most of what I could find said that what is considered a great crop in the United States, where we've got some awesome farmers, some of the world's best farmers of all time, they think it's one of the best crops they've ever had when they have eight times what they had been sowing. 30? 60? 100? Now, if you're me, that's a little weird for OCD people, because they're like, 30, 60, 90. Come on, Jesus, why is it 100? But his point is, he's trying to say It's a lot! It produces a lot of fruit. Do you hear the word, and is the word producing fruit in your life? Does the love of God show up in your life? Does the love of your neighbor show up? Galatians 5 tells us about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. If I missed one, you can look it up later on. All these things show up in the lives of believers, those who receive the word. Are those things evident in your life? Do you have joy in Christ? Joy. That's supposed to be a fruit from the word. Or are you just angry all the time for no reason? Is there kindness in your life? I've seen lots of things online that talk about how, like, when you're young, young people in the room is for you if you're in middle school, high school. Everybody's worried about who's cool and what they wear. and, And it doesn't take long after high school that kindness is suddenly the new cool. People want to be around people who are kind. Have you noticed that? The people you want to be around are kind, are they not? Maybe we should be kind, too. If we're internalizing the word, if we're hearing and accepting the word, then kindness is one of those things that will be showing up. You'll be wanting to serve your neighbors for the glory of God and for their good, not to justify yourself, not to make yourself look good, but for their good. Jesus offers a little further explanation here, verses 21 through 25. He says, he also said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed? Isn't it to be put on a lampstand? For there is nothing hidden that will not be revealed and nothing concealed that will not be brought to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him listen. Remember, Jesus here primarily talking about himself. So he's just talking about the word going forth. We're receiving this light that shines. It reveals to us the secret of the kingdom, who Jesus is, that he is the one way that we have access to God. He's the one way we have access to eternal happiness, eternal joy, eternal hope. It's also revealing our hearts. As this light shines in the room, Suddenly, none of us can hide anymore. Suddenly, God knows us for who we are, and we begin to see who we are in light of God. And at first, that's not good, because we say, oh no, we are sinners. But in his grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, he now says, you are a son, you are a daughter, you are part of my family. You have inherent dignity and worth because you are an image-bearer of God, and now as part of God's family, you have a mission to live to glorify Him and serve others. He offers more on this. He says, and he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. By the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and more will be added to you. For whoever has, more will be given to him. And whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away. He's again calling us to carefully listen Those who hear the word are going to hunger for more of the word because we're hungering for more and more of God. If you don't have that, are you embracing the word? Are you hearing who he says he is? Are you hearing who he says you are? In verses 26-29 and verses 30-32, and thir- 30 through 32, we find two more parables. We will not spend as long on these, but I want us to look at them because now we've looked at the one that Jesus says, if you understand this about the sower, and you understand how he's sowing his word and how we can hear and accept and bear fruit, then we can understand these other parables. 26-29 says, the kingdom of God is like this. He said, a man scatters seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. The seed sprouts and grows, although he doesn't know how. The soil produces a crop by itself. First the blade, then the head, and then the full grain on the head. As soon as the crop is ready, he sends for the sickle, because the harvest has come. This is Jesus commenting on his sowing of the word. It's a slow process. Remember, we said right before this, he's got Pharisees and scribes rejecting him. He's got his family coming to him, and he's saying, this isn't my family. My family are those who hear the word, and they obey it. They do what I tell them to do. And here he's saying, I'm here for the long game. He's not just here to see quick emotional decisions made. He's here to see life transformation. He's here to see an eternal kingdom consummated. That should encourage us, folks. We we said earlier, how would you change the world? That's not the way most of us would choose. You may have asked before, why is it that God made his mission this way? Why does he tell us to go and take the gospel? That seems so terribly inefficient. Some of y'all are like, I don't think that way. You're weird to think that way. I've talked to people in this room who think like I do. It's inefficient. Like, God, you couldn't just, like, keep showing yourself every generation or so and, like, let us walk with Jesus too? But remember, even those who walk with Jesus rejected him. It's not just that we don't see him. There's just as much power in his spirit being with us. In fact, Jesus says it's better that he leaves us and the spirit comes to us. Because now in every believer, we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. And he works as we proclaim the gospel, drawing people to himself. As we tell others about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection and call them to repent and believe, God works through that. Can it be slow? Yes. That doesn't necessarily mean we're doing it wrong. Verses 30 through 32, he gives another parable. He says, and he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable can we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed that when sown upon the soil is the smallest of all the seeds on the ground and when sown, it comes up and grows taller than all the garden plants and produces large branches so that the birds of the sky can nest in its shade. And Jesus here has his 12 apostles, a small group of other people who are actually responding to him, and he starts talking about how this is like a mustard seed. I would have had a mustard seed to show you, but I would have held it up, and you wouldn't have been able to see it. Because It's like a speck on my hand. That's a mustard seed. And you plant it, and it grows into this big thing, and you're like, how in the world did that come from this? And Jesus is likening the kingdom of God to that. What started with calling 12 apostles has spread already across the globe and eternally will be a people from every nation, tribe, and tongue singing praises to Jesus. Jesus was here for the long game. He wasn't just here to put on one good performance. People heard about his healings. They wanted to come see that. They wanted to come see him do some tricks. He was here for the long game. Mark wraps up this whole section with verses 33 and 34. Says he was speaking the word to them with many parables like these as they were able to understand. He did not speak to them without a parable. Privately, however, he explained everything to his own disciples. I often hear that Jesus was a great teacher. I've heard the quote, I've heard it attributed to all kinds of people, but I've heard people say, I like your Christ, but not your Christians. i heard something like that. They'll say, Jesus had some good teachings. If people would just really get what he was saying, then the world would be a better place. And while I actually agree with that sentiment, if we do really get what he's saying, the world will be a better place. What is usually meant by that is, if you would just leave me alone and stop talking about Jesus, the world would be better. But Jesus came as more than a teacher. He did not come just to be the best teacher who showed you, hey, look, 2 plus 2 is 4, great, I'm going to be with the Father. That wasn't his point. He came to usher in a new kingdom. And he came to do it through the power of his word, that to us seems slow. And we say, God, where are you? There's so much bad happening, there's so much evil happening, where are you, God? And we ask foolishly, because God is patient. He's not slow as we count slowness. He's patient, hoping that all will come to repentance. He wants to see more people come to know him through this ministry of the word. If we really care that much, if we're saying, man, God, we really wish you'd get on with it, then we would participate in that mission. We would go and proclaim the word, that people would come to know him. And I'll go ahead and tell you, as we proclaim the word, people will reject it. growth may be slow at times. Satan will be against us. Our flesh will be against us. The world will be against us. But God works mightily through his word to give life to the dead. He works mightily through his word to make something out of nothing. Isn't that how the Bible begins? There's nothing but God, and he speaks light. He speaks and it happens. And he does the same thing for us who trust Jesus for salvation. He calls us to life, and we who were dead receive new life in Jesus because we trust who he is and what he's done for salvation rather than ourselves. We submit to his word because we know that our word fails. Our wisdom fails. It doesn't work out. We've got a lot of smart people in this room. We actually have a lot of doctorates in this room. Somebody's joking today, it's actually mostly women too. Shout out to our ladies. But y'all, none of us in here is smart enough to get to God. None of us in here is good enough to get to God. We must know the secret to the kingdom, which is Jesus. We must come to Jesus to be with God. We must come to Jesus to be one of God's people. If we take his teaching and we take it on our own, Satan will snatch it away or we will lose it because of our own flesh or because of the world. But if we hear the word and we take it back to Jesus and we say, Lord, our king, our boss, teach us, make us more like you, he will. Do you see Jesus as more than a teacher? Do you see that though the pattern of his teaching may not make sense to us in earthly terms, he knew what he was doing. He knows what he's doing now. He's here for an eternal goal beyond even this morning, though he works in the moments like right now. Philip said earlier, wisely and pastorally, none of us are here by accident. God has brought each one of us here so that we can hear the message of who Jesus is and what he's done through his life, death, burial, and resurrection. And if you are here today and you are not a believer, that may weird you out that I think that God brought you here, but I think that. And I hope that today you will at least have a conversation. We will not manipulate you into any weird decision or bring you down front and stick a microphone in your face, nothing like that. All I'm asking for is for you to talk to us more about this secret to the kingdom, this Jesus of Nazareth. When I'm finished preaching, I'm going to pray. And if you're here today and you're not a believer, what I'm going to ask you to do is go back. You can look right back there. It says next steps. Y'all see that back there in the back? Yeah. Lots of people turn around. Cool. Next step station, you will have pastors. You'll have other people back there who you can talk to. And we just want to have a conversation. There'll be other music playing. People won't be looking at you. They won't be listening to your conversation. We want to talk to you about how you can hear and embrace the word of God in your life, how you can be part of Jesus's kingdom. For the believers here today, or for those who would call themselves believers, do you really hear the word? Do you welcome it? Does your life show fruit that you hear and welcome the word? I pray that it does. I pray that you know that Jesus is the secret to the kingdom, and I pray that you go forth in the Spirit's power to proclaim this word to others, to be part of Jesus's kingdom mission. Let's pray.